What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special episode from the archives. This is a golden oldie full of great evergreen advice for writers. It's a rerun, basically. Whilst we work on something very, very special. Or very, very special indeed. We were so young and naive, weren't we, Mark? Oh, we were, but our guests, our guests were brimming with wisdom. So enjoy! And we'll be back next week with a brand spanking new episode of The Bestseller Experiment. Let's run the show! Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we look to write, publish and market a book in just 52 weeks. My name's Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay. And we would like to welcome you to this amazing show. We've got two, not just one, but two incredible guests. So Mark, please tell us, who have we got in the studio live today with us? Well, we're very lucky to get the very, very busy Mr. Mark Huckabee and Mr. Nick Osler. Uh, I met Mark and Nick about, I think, six, seven years ago when just before I started uh, working on Robot Overlords with John Wright. They were part of uh, John's Tiny Tank Think Tank, which was a group of writers and creative people who basically would read our script and then give it a really good kicking in order to make it stronger. <laughs> and uh, these guys have worked on some of the best children's television out there, uh, Danger Mouse, Thunderbirds Are Go, Peter Rabbit, Sean the Sheep, Sean the Sheep, man. Uh, oh, and oh, oh, they, better than Sean. I know. And they're, they're our first Emmy winners on the series wow. as well, which is fantastic. Is awesome. But really exciting is they've written a book together. They've written a fantastic uh, sort of superhero action adventure story called Defender of the Realm, which I read earlier this year and absolutely loved. It's absolutely cracking book. Uh, and that's a, again, uh, as with Robin's book, this is uh, middle grade fiction, uh, really good page turning stuff. Um, but yeah, let's talk to the guys now. Welcome, Mark. Welcome, Nick. Hello. How are you? We're doing great. And this is amazing because through the, the, the miracle of technology, we've got people in England, people in Vancouver, and somehow we've all made, managed to make it work. So it's great to have you with us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you. Now, now we have to, we've got a bit of a problem here, right? Because we've got yeah. three marks. How are we going to, like, okay, so how are we going to deal with this? Well, I, I, I reckon we should adopt a sort of a public boarding school thing and just assume surnames. Or do, uh, do it like University Challenge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huckabee. Huck <laughs> Osler. Osler. No, he's Nick. He's fine. Nick is the oh, Nick. Fi- okay. yeah, he's, he's the but, well, Nick, will you feel a bit left out if we use your first name whilst we're all kind of having our playground I don't uh, school names? You're um, right. You like? What was your Nick? What was your, what was your nickname at school? Mine? Yeah. I don't think I was cool enough to have a nickname. So oh, we'll man. just we'll we'll keep it with Nick. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Stay Nick. You can call me Desi actually. All my friends call me Desi, so okay. Desi, Desi and Stay. Desi and Stay. <laughs> Want a game Conkers? <laughs> that could be the alternative name for your um, your podcast. Desi and Stay present. <laughs> Excellent That's stuff. True. So, so guys, we're really fascinated to talk to you today because you are the first people that we've had on the bestseller experiment that are actually a writing team, yeah. and it's probably aware. Mark and I are trying to be a duo in all of this, trying to write this novel together. So, we have got tons of really kind of interesting questions to ask you but how how did you first meet maybe mark could you mr huckers could you tell us how you first met uh well this is a true story uh we nick and i met on the very first day of university we went to nottingham university in about 1992 two three something like that two or three and um and i met nick on as i said i missed him um, we were queuing up for our um, registration, and uh, <clears throat> I was sort of sorry, <clears throat> sorry. 
And then Mark was choking. <laughs> I was choking. And I did the Heimlich <laughs> on a piece of broccoli um, just eaten. Saved his life. The rest of <laughs> And that, that's a true story. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, so we uh, we met on the first day. Uh, I was, we were queuing up to get our keys for our, our dorm rooms. Um, and I turned around to this guy uh, behind me in the queue and I said something like, oh, a bit of a long queue or something. And uh, Nick, it turned out to be Nick, sort of completely blanked me, uh, didn't say a word to me. And I thought, God, what a dick. <laughs> um, I just didn't like look and it turned out that Nick, I think, was the only guy there whose dad was in the queue with him. <laughs> I was kind of mortally embarrassed. I'd never been away from home before. Mark was slightly older and wiser, you know, more streetwise than me. And I was kind of panicking, I think. And I thought, if I don't talk to anyone, I won't have to introduce my dad. <laughs> and that would help. So I think I just pretended I hadn't heard <clears throat> And he just thought I was really unfriendly. I did. I thought, God, what an absolute prick. And then um, <laughs> we uh, we didn't speak for, I don't know, about a couple of term. And then I heard Nick was writing plays. And I think I was sort of, I was acting at the time and I was interested in acting at the time. And there was a, another guy there called Dan Chambers. And What actually happened is I, I saw them dicking around with each other. They used to sort of do something where everyone would be in the, the main room watching Neighbours. You know, the, the, everyone would gather to do that every day. And Mark and Dan, our other friend, would um, they would kind of like pretend to have a fight in front of the TV <laughs> at a really crucial bit just to kind of make everyone laugh and piss them off. And I thought this was really funny. And I, I just assumed that they were good at doing comedy acting. So I approached them and it turned out they had actually done a bit of acting. This so is, I, uh, I cast them in these plays. This, this sounds like a, a classic meet-cute from a uh, rom-com, guys. I'm sure you're not retconning <laughs> I wouldn't this. want you to jump to any conclusions, Mark. <laughs> it, was, it was the early 90s, you know, we were... It's a different time. Yeah. We were young. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so then we got, we got writing together. We did, um, cut long story short, because that's taken a rather long time. Um, we did um, a, our kind of version of the Footlights. We did uh, comedy sketch shows that we would we would put on in the theatre, much to the annoyance of the really serious uh, English lit grads who wanted to do very you know, Ibsen and stuff like that. And we would come on and do our stupid sketches in lycra pants, and um, <laughs> and and we we managed to con our way into getting sent to the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, I infiltrated the committee and managed to basically rigged the election uh, so that we, we got in under the wire to get some money, a few hundred quid, so we could go to Edinburgh. It was like a committee of, like, 40 people on the new <laughs> theatre, student <laughs> council. Get on and, and Nick got a job as the uh, fire safety officer. <laughs> yeah, and- my only job was to, buy a, was to buy a single fire extinguisher, something that I failed to do <laughs> in two years in that position. Um, so... <laughs> So Nick was writing then. Mark, were you writing then as well? Uh, I wasn't. No, I was sort of acting, and then the, sort of the, we started sketch writing together, and that was where, you know, I mean, that was really, you know, writing on just notepads, and I think we had those basic, really basic word processors that can only. Do you remember those? Like they were like typewriters, yeah. but they only had a very basic memory. Yeah, they could remember like sixteen characters or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. have to like print out what you'd done, and then start again yeah yeah i had one of those yeah <laughs> but we did we did a lot of um student radio as well and we did a kind of a weekly show so it became quite a kind of a good discipline of, of writing comedy sketches quickly and performing them and seeing what worked and what didn't work and so you know although it was it, most of it was probably rubbish um you know i think enough of it was okay that we sort of we gradually got better um and that's where we sort of made our first contact at the edinburgh festival some BBC Light Entertainment radio producer came and um, we thought that was very exciting and he sent us a letter afterwards um, and we thought we'd made it then, you know, that was it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was how we met. That was the start of it already. And was that your great, big breakthrough when, when you got you know, approached by someone at the BBC? Well, I think we thought it was at the time. I think what it boiled down to was, you know, we all went along and had a meeting with him when we were in London sort of doing other jobs that we hated um and you know and it didn't lead to a great deal but i suppose eventually it led to us getting 
some sort of non-commissioned work on Radio 4 and we started getting more and more stuff used. And, and eventually a producer said to us, you know, if, if you were full-time doing this, you'd get a lot more work. So we kind of, you know, casually <laughs> jacked in our jobs and <laughs> um, attempted to make a living. That was, um, you know, and then a couple more breaks happened and we, we ended up um, writing on some animation shows. We, we did a few sketch shows along the way, but we sort of wanted to write more narrative stuff. Um, it was what we, we liked doing the sort of longer form sketches and, and recurring characters, and eventually we wanted to write. So, so when we got an opportunity to do animated scripts for TV, which were like seven-minute scripts or 11-minute scripts, we really enjoyed that and, um, and found us sort of accidentally fell into that as a bit of a niche. Um, and, and animation is one of those kind of worlds within the industry that everyone, you know, pretty much knows each other. And, and if you get stuff used on a show, then, you know, your name gets around. And, and that was really, that was more our break, I think, kind of segueing into that, mm. into that area, which we still, you know, we still do a lot of now. Of course, the thing I completely missed out of your, your introduction is you've had two movies made of your scripts, and they're horror movies as well, you know, Howl and Don't Knock yeah. Twice. Um, you were always writing screenplays during this period as well, were you? Um, that came a bit later. We sort of built up to it, really, which I think was quite a good way of doing it. So as I say, we started doing seven-minute and then 11-minute sketches and then some 22-minute, and by the time we decided to do a feature. I think we'd sort of, you know, we not that it, our first one was any good, but we, we built up to it. I think we didn't dive straight into trying to do a, mm. you know, a, a 90 minute um, script, which, which is a whole different kind of beast and it is much harder. Oh, um, it always surprises me when you hear people say that they are just going to start straight in with a feature, mm. like it's the first thing they've written. Cause I just remember like how hard it was, just just remembering now, thinking back to university or just post-university when we were writing for Radio 4, how hard it was just to write a really decent two-minute sketch to structure that. Mm. And then, or, you know, I certainly found that really hard. And then gradually you start expanding that out, as Nick said, to seven minutes, to 22 minutes, to half an hour. So I did feel when, when we came to write the scripts, we were sort of ready to do that. But um I, I think we there was there was a very long lead up to to, to be able, to be able to do screenplays. And, and then like anyone who was doing features as well, you know, we we did a bunch and have done plenty that haven't been made. Um, but but yeah, as you say, you know, we, luckily we we got a couple of low budget horror films made. Um, you know, one of which um, uh, was out last year, and, and uh, another is is going to be out uh, next year. Um, and sort of a coincidence, really, that they were both the horror ones that got made. I think at the time we were doing them, you know, those were the kind of films that the sort of budget level and the genre that could get made on a low budget. Um, so it just sort of happened to be that. And but, but yeah, it's um. So we have a bit of a weird CV. So we have a kind of <laughs> it, it does it does feel like a leap from Peter Rabbit to Peter a Rabbit. werewolf movie. A werewolf movie, which we were writing at the same time. <laughs> Really, yeah. that's a, that's fascinating. Now there is, I've heard quite a few times people have talked about, you know, that the themes within children's scripting in, in in children's shows is is often compared to, um, you know, in their world, like horror in the sense of like the worst things that can happen in their life. Is is there a link there? Is is that completely off the off the bat? Um, well, I suppose I mean, funny you mentioned Peter Rabbit. <laughs> the funny thing with that is when we were approached. For that we weren't we hadn't done preschool before we you know we were more kind of comfortable doing comedy adventure for slightly older kids and we didn't really think it was for us and we resisted it for a while but then we looked at the source material and of course it was very kind of red in tooth and claw and basically about a you know a thieving rabbit who's constantly a fox is constantly trying to kill him or um and the gardener's trying to kill him and we thought actually you know if you could put that jeopardy in there you know it would both be faithful to the source material and you might get away with it because the source material you know that's part and parcel of it um and it would make it a lot more exciting and you know so it wasn't a gentle so we did basically wrote an action action adventure comedy show um that happened to be based on this hundred year old property and and you know we were given free reign just to try out what we wanted to do um and Luckily, they really liked it, and it was the take that they were sort of looking for. So, mm-hmm. um, 
I don't know if generally there's themes between, I mean, I think kids like to be scared and they like, they like kind of horror in a certain sort of safe way. You know, we just had Halloween, which is like more popular than Christmas, I think, with a lot of kids mm-hmm. now. Um, but I, th- I think there's a lot of parallels between horror and comedy, you know. Yeah, like, horror and comedy, much more, I think. Many people have said, you know, it's kind of a laugh and a scream is, is the same release of tension. And, and I think that's why we, you know, when we, for, back at university, when we were getting to know each other, you know, we were watching movies like The Evil Dead um, and stuff like that, which, you know, was um, was perfect to us because it was, you know, scary and supernatural, but also really funny. Mm. So that's, uh, yeah, I think they, 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 do, they do crossover. So maybe it's not as weird. It's not as weird a CV as it sounds like, maybe. I think I think there's kind of a fairy tale connection as well. Obviously, look at things like Little Red Riding Hood, which you mm. know, and Snow White. I mean, the original versions of those are utterly terrifying, but they become children's stories now. But there is that sense of peril, that sense of don't go into the woods because you you know you could be gobbled up, kind of thing. So, but um, let's. Now, ca- ca- yeah, I was going to say we we we're, we're going to talk a bit more about your book that you've written uh, in a in a minute. But I'd love to to ask both of you. Um, you guys are our sages because Mark and I are trying to do this novel together. We're trying to get a best-selling book by you know the end of the sh- the end of this kind of fifty-two-week period. We're in, we really want to know what's it really like writing in a team. Maybe Mr. Huckabee, you could tell us what are the advantages and disadvantages would you say of writing as a team? Um, I think the advantages are that. Well, I mean, to, to go sort of just to speak more generally about it, I kind of I, I have immense respect for writers who write on their own, and I, I can I can't really imagine doing that because it's such a solitary profession where you're alone with your thoughts for long periods of time. And I've never I've never really had that. I've always worked in a group, whether it was with Nick or when Dan used to work with us at university. It was always you know the three of us constantly feeding back on what we were writing. So. I guess, you know, that's one, the big advantage that, you know, you have as a partnership that that's grown so naturally is that we're always feeding back. We're always really honest with each other, with what we think about each other's scripts and work. And it's, it's not even a big deal anymore to kind of say what you think about something. Um, so that's another big advantage that I think we're very good at taking notes from when we're working on the TV stuff with producers. It's just no big deal for us to get notes on our scripts because we've been doing that for a long period of time. I, I certainly know that writers on sometimes when they're on their own, getting script notes is can be such a arduous kind of um, trauma. Trauma, yeah. <laughs> Whereas you know, and of course, it still is. It always is to get you know your work kind of critiqued and criticised. But I guess we're probably slightly more maybe used to that, more robust uh, in our in our attitude to that. So that's that's another thing. Um, I think thirdly, it's kind of like having a boss, but so you're, you're constantly sort of, you know, I, I know when I know what Nick's working on, he knows what I'm working on. You, you've always got something to aim for at the end of the day. If you're, you know, trying to finish the the end of a chapter of writing the book or the end of a script. So to, you know, in order to exchange it. So you've kind of got that nice time pressure on there. Uh, sometimes when you're working with each other. So that's really good. Um, but I'm trying to think of anything. I think it also that something, I can't remember who it was, someone else said this to us once, but there's, we'll give away a sort of secret now, I guess, although it wasn't deliberate, but there's a certain mystique about writing partnerships, which I think <laughs> does give you an advantage uh, in dealing with other people in the industry and with producers and directors and <laughs> because you've got this slightly mysterious thing that no one quite knows what goes on between you in that creative <laughs> space and it gives you a bit more power in the equation you know i think there's definitely a difference two of you going into a meeting you're less likely to be outnumbered you know more likely to be able to kind of pick up the slack and back each other up and mm-hmm. and i think it does just it helps you in the room which is a you know is a big part when you're collaborating on film and tv and, and books as well you know is a, a big part of it so it is a bit of a kind of safety in numbers that's, that's very true actually because i know john and i have come out of meetings and said did he say what I think he just said? Yeah, it always, yeah, you can yeah, get it. Two, two pairs of ears, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, and I, it's funny because Nick and I always walk out of meetings and 
we've just we've developed what we call the hive mind <laughs> I, I, I know what nick's thinking he knows what i'm thinking we often re- we often just react in the same way to to notes and things but yeah, I, th- I think that's true about safety in numbers i think that's that's a good point i think um but i, I think producers and directors it's writing is such a mystery to a lot of people unless you do it for a living anyway i think it, you are probably writing on your own you get that um from from the, those kind of people as well um but yeah i think it is it is it is definitely an advantage i feel much safer going with nick <laughs> than, on, than i would on my own and i could find the meeting because i've got terrible sense of direction so i, I tend to follow Mark around Soho about two spaces, paces behind him. <laughs> uh, and then we, and then we get there, you know, oh, I think the other thing to say on, on partnerships is, you know, I think ours, I think has worked. We've been working together for over 20 years and, and, you know, most of that professionally, I think it survives because, you know, firstly we were friends first, but also I think cause we're quite similar in many ways, not in, not in every way, but I think generally speaking, our, our tastes are quite similar. You know, we like the same kind of stuff. I think we like writing the same sort of things. Uh, as Mark says, we tend to think the same about people and situations. So we don't really argue, um, which I think is actually important. A lot of people seem to think, you know, partnerships only work if it's like chalk and cheese and you're both completely complementary. And, and I, you know, I, and we've met partnerships like that before. They don't tend to survive, I don't <laughs> experience because they're just it's just exhausting i mean you can't you know it's like it's you know it's our we joke it's our first marriage you know we've been working together longer than each of us have been married to our wives Um, and it doesn't last you know uh unless that's your thing it doesn't last if you're fighting all the time and if you're pulling in opposite directions and um you know so i think a lot of it also comes down to personalities just clicking in a way that's not too confrontational but is kind of you know you're able to be honest with each other that's I think so important Nick as well and I was I burst out laughing then because like Mark and I had our first kind of like ding dong <laughs> oh, do, do you want to talk about it but no, no, yeah, actually, yeah, if, uh, if you wouldn't mind no. but what, what I would like to ask it, the, thing about, the thing about the discussions that you have there, there must be moments where you both have a brilliant idea for the same part of your script or the same part of your novel, what do you do in those situations where you're both kind of clinging on to each other's thing and you're trying to convince the other one that yeah it should be this way because it's either an either or well i just get my way yeah. <laughs> yes, so, uh, if it does come to that that's what tends to so you, you wear the trousers in the relationship do you nick <laughs> your words are not mine mark uh, <laughs> no i did genuinely doesn't happen that much i mean that's it sounds terribly boring but um you know it it, it doesn't i mean we do you know we we're not pushovers. We do have disagreements or, or, you know, different ideas or we have to, we have to resolve them, but we, we genuinely, they, those don't last very long. We don't have big blocks. You know, we're not, well, I might probably disagree with you, but I, I don't think either of us are so stubborn that we won't listen to reason or, you know, uh, coherent notes from the other. Um, no, I, I don't, what do you think? I, I, I don't think. I, we, I, I think, if we do, if that ever does come up, it's usually well. The other person will say, "Okay, we'll give it a go." If it's an, a, an yeah. you know, idea in a chapter or a script, is that will convince me. Mm. Um, and often that will, you know, that will lead to new ideas. If it's not, if it's not that thing, then it will lead to something else, and you'll just you'll work it up together from there. But I, I think that's the way to deal with that. It's like, well, if you've got an idea and you feel very passionate about about it, then have a go at it and see whether you can make it work. It does also depend on what you're working on, obviously, because you know, there's a practical aspect to it that we're, you know, like all writers and partnerships, you know, we're, we're working on different projects at once. And we, you know, most days we're going to be working on different things. They might be different chapters of the same book, or they might be, you know, I might be writing a Danger Mouse script and Mark's writing a script for another show, Scream Street or Sean the Sheep or something. So we also might each be heading up a particular script. So obviously if you're heading it up, it is, you know, you kind of have more of a say over it. And and the other one, you know, depending on how busy we are, might not, you know, we, we get eyes on everything. So there's nothing goes in that we haven't both looked at. But it but it often, again, it's a bit of a trade secret. We wouldn't tell producers that much we're working with. But it might well be that the script you're getting is is 95% written by one of us. Mm. But in that sense, we're a bit of a company. So you know, everything goes out with our kind of names and our brand on it. 
But within that, there's a whole range of ways that we manage the workload. Um, obviously, if it's something like the book or something like a feature film, then you know we're we're going to be working much closer the whole time on it. Well, that's um, but if we write on three different shows at once, you know, inevitably you're going to split split work up just to, to be practical. I mean that that brings me on to the next question, which is, I mean, writing teams of pretty common in screenwriting but they're really very unusual when it comes to novel writing and how much of it was a you know that was it a bit of a culture shock to you guys writing a novel as a pair and what were the kind of problems that you hit while you were doing it that the kind of new things that got in the way that were new to you that that you hadn't encountered during script writing this, this is going to sound horribly arrogant <laughs> but to be honest we I, I mean, I'm speaking for myself. I did not think once about it that we couldn't do it. <laughs> um, I just thought, you know, and that, that may well, that comes across as terrible and conceited, but it really wasn't. I just hadn't really thought about it when we, uh, when we got our deal with Scholastic and we pitched the book and we were ready to write it. But th- then there was that moment as we started to write it. It was a bit like, oh, can we, <laughs> can we do this? It, it reminded me, it, I'll tell you what it reminded me of, the, the first time that we went on stage at Nottingham University when we were acting together, I remember just before we went on the first night, one of us turned to the others and said, how do we know this is funny, what we're about to do? <laughs> and none of us had thought, oh, yeah, maybe we're not funny, maybe we haven't. But I guess, you know, we were just confident with it. And so with the book, we just thought, well, we'll approach it like we do our our screenplays and our and our, our scripts we you know we did a lot a lot of outlining um prior to prior to uh, writing um so we, you know we sat down and we we talked for weeks and weeks about it and we just outlined it as we would a screenplay and then we div- divided it up and said well I'll do the first two chapters to have a bit of run it you take three and four then we'll switch over and then there was that moment of truth like well what's it going to be like to see Nick's prose writing as opposed to his, uh, as opposed to his screenwriting. And he had the same with me. And weirdly, (laughs) when when we compared our two samples of prose writing, the first tranches of the novel that we wrote, they were really, really similar. Wow. (laughs) And I think that was just that weird thing of just working together for so long. We, without knowing it, we developed a, a prose style. Um, which was sort of based on our pro style, I guess, that we use in our in the screenplays. Um, you know, and obviously we, we you can expand more in in the book and uh, in, in in novels. I think it was also um, just to bust it. I think it was also because we realised actually, as a scriptwriter, you do you know you you know this, Mark. The hoops you have to jump through uh, to get to script, you have to write treatments. Yeah. And those are prose documents of you know one, two, three, four, ten. 15 pages or more before you get to do the script. And we learned in the early days that, you know, it wasn't enough for those just to be functional or structural documents. They've got to be entertaining. And if they're not page turners, the execs are going to get bored and not, not be interested. And that's also fair enough. You know, if you're proposing to write a comedy film, your treatment for it better be funny. And if you're going to write a horror film, your treatment better be scary. Mm. So I think we had sort of, we hadn't realised, but we had actually learned a bit of a house style writing these treatments over the years, um, which is, you know, what we brought to to the writing. And so, so as Mark said, you know, the first time that we, we showed our sample chapters to our, our agent, uh, she said, you know, the first thing she said, she took us out for lunch was, I can't, you know, I can't tell who wrote which bit first, <laughs> which was a big relief. And we probably hadn't thought about as, as much as we should have done, but um, maybe it's because I'm stupid. I really had not thought about it that much. I just assumed that it would be okay. <laughs> also, you know, we do we, we do rewrite each other's pages, so it's not like you know we we could split up the the book and say these chapters were written by me, these were written by Mark. You know, we we might be able to remember who did the first draft, but basically you know they they've gone through a lot of editing by both of us over you know months and and years um so they you know it does genuinely become but i think it's as must say it's all in the outlining you know we, we you do that we did that the same way we did for scripts to do a feature script and then we had a really detailed chapter outline um and if, in fact when we uh we presented our outline for the second book to our publishers 
uh, when was that, early beginning of this year, I guess, or no, in probably this time last year, um, we'd done like a 25-page outline for the book. And um, and the one of the editors kind of let slip that, you know, oh, yeah, no, writers never do this. Yeah, <laughs> very few, very few contracted authors actually do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess it's, you know, from necessity, but I also kind of don't know how you would do it without one, really. So um, I know from speaking to editors, they wish that more would actually. Mm. You know, because it's, it's, it's that thing that Shannon was talking about in one of our earlier episodes, that if you deliver 80,000 words and there's a huge structural problem, then it's a massive rewrite. But if you present 25, 30 pages, they can go, you know what, maybe you need to shift this and take that or add a character mm-hmm. there, take that character out. Then th- there's not so much heavy lifting. Yeah. yeah. So, so Mr. Huckabee, did you end up, you know, when you presented this, this idea to the editor, had you... Had you just got sample chapters or um, plot points? At what point did you bring your editor into the process for the first book? Um, we had the story of the realm was we we had written we'd had the idea uh, a while it was Nick's original idea was what if King or Queen of England was a secret superhero, um, and that idea was kind of kicking around, and we were sort of deciding how to sort of deal with that. Um, and what to do with it, what we were thinking, is it a film, is it TV? We originally, I think we originally uh, optioned it to Tiger Aspect as a TV idea, um, but that was way too early in the process. Um, and we, we got it back, luckily, after a year. And we thought, you know what, this this has got to be a book. So we started to think of it as a book, and from then on, that's how we pursued it. Um, and we were sort of talking to various publishers about it, and we originally... To answer your question, we originally wrote, I think we did some... Eight, eight chapters, eh? Yeah, eight, eight chapters we did. And we thought, okay, well, that, that's enough to sell it to a... You know, because we had the whole idea, we knew how it was going to end, we had our first eight chapters, which we were really happy with, and we thought, okay, well, we'll send this in to publishers and see what they thought. And we went to Penguin and Scholastic and various places, and, you know, and ev- everywhere we sent it to said, yeah, this is this is... We, we like the idea. We can see where it's going, but you know, we don't buy <laughs> partial books. And we were, what? Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works. Funny enough, they, they do in nonfiction. You can, do they? Uh, yeah. yeah, you can go to a publisher with a, uh, sort of part work and, uh, an outline in nonfiction because you then have to go away and research the thing for a couple of years. But yes, fiction, they, they, if if you're essentially a first time novelist, they, yeah. w- they want to see if you can actually get to the end of the bloody thing. Yeah, and well, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. But it was quite annoying at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but then you like, yeah, we wouldn't buy, and you know, a third of a car. So <laughs> um, we were lucky at the time though, because we we were we had a good head writing job um, in TV. So we were able, you know, we, we we were okay for money. So we didn't need to be paid to do it. It was. It was more just finding the the time to do it in between that, and we, and we just, you know, we were disciplined in in wrestling, you know, a free day here or there where we could push it on, um, and then, you know, within that year, we sort of got to the end of it. Um, so tell us, Nick, about the actual technology that you used, or did you use technology? Did you did you have a way of sharing documents? I mean, what were the practicalities behind writing together? Um, we're, it's, we're very basic on that. We just, um, we just keep files on a Dropbox, um, for our projects. So, uh, you know, we, we don't have any of those kind of live, you know, collaborate, collaborate, collaborate things. I think we tried them once, but it was a bit of a pain. Um, so really we just, you know, we're working on, on separate bits. So, so, so the book, you know, for example, will be in, it'll be in chapter files for, you know, most of its life up to the point where we're ready to compile it and send it in uh, so that we can just work on different chapters independently. Um, is that what you mean? I'm not really good on Yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah, I was just, just curious because always, this always comes up and there's lots of people listening to the show that either would love to co-author one day or do co-author. And it's, it's you know, the, with the technology, obviously things are hugely different now than they were, say, 20 years ago. Because people probably are imagining that we're in the same room, you know, one of us walking around behind the other one typing, which is, you know, how we spent our first couple of years writing. But uh, but these days we don't live in the same county even, so we're 
Uh, we are in our own offices. So, yeah, we do rely on this technology to kind of do it most of the time, do it remotely. Excellent stuff. Now, one other question we've got is there are times, obviously, that every in, in every book and probably in every script as well, I'm sure, you get stuck and you just, you know, you, you hit a brick wall and you think, oh, is this going anywhere or how do we take this forward? What do you both do when you hit that hurdle? Asking for a friend. <laughs> See, never happens to you. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just, that's just the day-to-day grind, isn't it? You know, um, I don't know. We sort of don't believe in writer's block. I think if, if you give it a, a name like that, it suddenly becomes this thing that you kind of is out of your control. And, um, and you know, it's just that it's just that the cliches are true though. You just got to treat it as a job. You know, if, if it, if it's your job, it's your job. And, you know, a surgeon can't kind of say that he's got surgeon's block. <laughs> uh, I did have that once, but uh, it was yeah. fine. So, you know, you have, you just have to do it. And of course you learn, you learn techniques and uh, ways of attacking problems. And, you know, there are plenty of books that can help you with that. And, but I think it's mainly the thing Mark said, you know, in fact, there's two of us. So, and, you know, you, hopefully you guys will find the same that, you know, if, if you're feeling there's a problem, you've got someone to talk to until you've solved it. Um, I think it'd be much harder by yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was talking about. I mean, you know, today I, had, I hit a problem with a script that I was doing and it was just, you know, it says that luck is a complete luxury to be able to just say to Nick to send over where I'd got to and go, can you have a look at this? Uh, there's something wrong with them, you know, the middle section of this script, you know, and sure enough, a bunch of notes came back, which kind of unblocked the drain. <laughs> um, but, you know, so that is, again, that's, that's another great thing about the partnership. But I mean, you know, yeah, I think, you know, I still, you, I, I find just walking sometimes, you know, I've got a dog, so just, and that, that's just great anyway to get out of the house. Cause I think you writers, you can, you know, having said that, it, I found it very hard to write two-minute sketches when I first started writing. It was very hard to, to sit down and concentrate and do that. I've now worked up to the point where I could sit quite happily at my desk for seven hours a day, which is not healthy to do writing. And I, I think to make myself get up, it's great to have the dog. And if I ever do hit those kind of blocks, then you do. It's just great to get out and walk walk on it. And it's the bit that everyone sort of laughs at because you think, oh, yeah, writers and sounds like a bit of an excuse to just have a walk but actually (laughs) it's when you let your brain just kind of relax a bit and you you just get those surprising subconscious uh thoughts come through that you know that's that always comes usually on a walk for me Mm. uh you don't even know you're really thinking about the problem and you come back and sit back at the desk fresh and suddenly it's a it's a you know it's there's there's a new angle there's new light shone on the problem that's why it's good to have multiple projects on the go as well, because, you know, if, if you're really not feeling it on one project one day, then, you know, you can hop onto something else. You've always got something useful to be doing. Um, but I don't know. I, I kind of think in a way you need to sort of have a, a healthy lack of sympathy really with, with writers who complain about not feeling the, you know, in the mood to do it today or the muse. It's like, you know, you kind of get over yourself and just get on with it. It's just hard work, you know. It's not, it's not supposed to be a kind of glamorous, exciting thing all the time. It's just, um, Hammer the keys. it's just like <laughs> anyone else's job. It's just, sometimes it's just hard work and you've just got to get on with it. Make your forehead bleed. Who said that? Was that Richard Curtis? Yeah. <laughs> and he said it's, yeah, writing is about staring at a blank sheet of paper until your forehead bleeds. And I think, and it is, yeah, that's just what it is. And sometimes it's brilliant and you just flow. And then other days, you can always write. That's the thing. The, the thing is, you can always write something, even if it turns out, you know, you end up scrapping it. There's a, there, I bet there'll be something in there that you, you'll build on or use. Yeah. And even if you're, you know, dog tired, like, you know, I've got a couple of young kids and, you know, the, those days when you haven't had any sleep and, um, you know, you can do something. You can go through your outline and you can put the slug lines in, you know, just a mechanical, boring thing that has to be done at some point. And you've got to do your formatting and you've got to do your title page. And, you know, by the time you've done that, you've actually read through it a couple of times and then you have an idea. And then, you know, you go, but it, you, you just have to kind of, you've got to start somewhere. You know, it is just, it's just one word at a time. Fantastic. And how did you, how did you both feel about publishing 
your first novel after having worked so long in script writing was it a was it a great experience or would you do anything different um it was brilliant really mm. it was kind of it almost in every way a more enjoyable experience than, <laughs> than script writing and trying to get scripts made um i think you'd agree mark it was kind of yes. Yeah, we, we were taken aback by how much creative control you have, how few voices there are in the room. Not that, you know, that's always a bad thing and that we don't need notes, but th this, you know, when it's your idea and your book, it's, it's treated completely as your, as your baby and, and the responsibility is on you in the end that, you know, the final words are down to you and, and that's what it's going to be forever in that in that book. So there's more pressure in a way, but no excuse. You know, you can't say, oh, well, you know, the director didn't understand it or the, you know, they didn't have the budget to do this bit or, um, you know, so, so it's more nerve wracking in some ways, but, but I think at the stage of our careers we're at, it was, it was just what we needed. And it was, it, it was fantastic because it, it felt completely ours in, in a way that no other project ever had. And we were very proud of it and we thought it was good. And then, you know, there was the nerves of it getting published, of course, and, you know, then getting nice feedback and reviews was like, you know, wow, it's actually, you know, people, people are enjoying it. Um, so it probably, uh, speak for both of us, but for me, it was, I think, definitely the single most satisfying, mm. creative kind of end result that we've ever had in, you know, anything we've done. Mm. Well, you, should, you, you should be proud of it, guys. It's really good fun. And there's another one on the way. Is it going to be an ongoing series? It is. We we've um, we've finished the second one, which uh, if you've read the first one, there's a big cliffhanger at the end of it. Yeah, just to yeah. just to put a plug for that. And um, yeah, the second one sort of picks up from there, and um, we finished that, and it's going through the copy edit at the moment, and it will be out next June uh, at the moment to to be confirmed. But that's the plan. Awesome. Um, and and then um, and then another one after that. So so yeah, it's a. It's a series, which was always the idea, um, and it always felt, you know, like something that could be a series. It's it, it sort of, um, just to do the potted plug on it, it's sort of based loosely on the legend of uh, King Alfred. So, the, you know, Alfred the Great, greatest kings of England, and, um, you know, a young man who didn't expect to be king so young and then was... Um, you know, routed by the Vikings and sent into exile and then had an amazing comeback and, um, and victory and drove, uh, drove the invaders out of, out of the country. And um, that sort of, you know, rise and fall and rise again is just a really lovely kind of natural dramatic structure. So that sort of history underpins it, but it's, it's that plus it's set in the here and now in a parallel Britain which has superheroes. <laughs> so, um, so it, you know, it, it, it felt naturally that it, it could be a series. And obviously when you're doing, you know, something for kids, you know, they, they're used to reading, you know, series, especially in, in middle grade and, and YA, you know, Harry Potter and Percy Jackson and Artemis Fowl. And, you know, they want to read the next one. So we've been, we've been kind of desperate to get more than one of them out there. Mm. Um, so it'll be really good to have the second one out next year. Yeah, I think I'll be more relaxed when we've got two books out there just because you do get kids asked. They just, as Nick just said, they want to read the next thing. And it's like, yes, working on it as fast as we can. It, it is slightly kind of pressure. depressing when it takes up sort of three, four, five years of your life and the little buggers read it in a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More, I want more. I was on holiday with my family. Damn you. Um, my nephew, who's um, 11 and, and loved the first one, I said I'd literally just sent off the, the PDF of the manuscript for the second one, and he was there, and he said, oh, can I read it? And I was like, yeah, of course you can. And I, you know, I sort of sent it to him. And, um, and he went off to his room and, and came back about five hours later and had finished it. <laughs> I was really flattered. Like, wow, you know, he, was, he really enjoyed it, and that's so nice. And I was like, Go on, I'm going to write the third one because you <laughs> literally just handed it in. That's relentless, isn't it? And yeah. I, I wanted to just ask you a question, both of you, as well. Obviously, spent spent a lot of time in the script world and still do. But what was it like that moment when when the actual book showed up at your house? You know, um, full covered retail version of it. What was what did it feel like, both of you, to actually hold that in your hands? 
<clears throat> big moment. It was. I, I remember it came in a big box. They sent us. I can't remember how many copies. It was like ten each or something. And it came in a big box, and I was like, "Oh my god, here's my book!" And I remember opening it really, really slowly. Mm-hmm. And then it's yeah. It's. I think. Obviously, I've held our scripts before, but that's just not the same thing. <laughs> it's you know, it's you're holding your book and you're holding the, as you say, with the cover and. Your name's on it, the blurb on the back, and you've got, you know, all the publishing information on the inside. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's such a great feeling to actually hold it and to think, here it is. And it's such a tangible, that's a brilliant thing about books. They're just so tangible, just holding it and smelling it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about you, Nick? Uh, I didn't do anything weird um, <laughs> when I opened the book. Uh, yeah, no, same. It is. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's kind of the writer equivalent of, you know, walking on at Wembley or something, isn't it? I think, you know, it's, um, you feel like a rock star at that moment. Cause it's like, you've actually written a real book, something that you talk about for years and, uh, you know, to have it there physically and finished. And as Mark said, is, is kind of, uh, special. But then so. you, then, then immediately after that though, is that thing of, okay, I've got it now. Now I've got, it's got to get out there and you start to start you to worry about, well, is it in the shops and mm. who's reading it? And you start to crave that feedback. Um, cause you know, having started off in comedy and theater as we did, you'd get, you know, our career has gone from being like having that immediate feedback when you're in front of an audience. If they laugh at something, it's good. Then, you know, there's, there's no denying it's, it's funny to, and our career has gone from doing that to having this very delayed feedback. You know, you do the radio. And then you do TV and then eventually you might get reviews for those things. Um, so immediately after I'd got the book, it was like, okay, now I'm worrying about what, what people think about it. <laughs> um, is anyone um, reading it? Is anyone reading it? Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, that's the other thing, you know, if you do an episode of Danger Mouse, you know, there's going to be, you know, X million people are going to watch it on, on mm-hmm. Wednesday, you know, um, with a book, it could, you know, genuinely could be read by a handful of people. Um, so, so yeah, find, finding an audience then, I guess, is a is a whole new challenge, which we was, have been learning about this year. Fantastic. And one other thing I've got to ask you, because I'm a massive Sean the Sheep fan. I am. I have all the box sets. I, I, I embarrass my kids because it's. I, I love. I love every one of them, and they're just fantastic. What What was it like actually working on that show and scripting it? Because I, mean, I know there's lots of different writers, aren't there? Mm. Yes, they use a lot of writers. And we should say, you know, we've only done a couple of episodes and, you know, a lot of other writers have done done more than us. But um, uh, we were, were lucky enough to have done a lot of work with um, Steve Box, um, who was at Aardman, then who, um, Oscar-winning animation director who um, co-wrote and directed um, uh, the Were Rabbit film. Um, and we're still working with him on some big projects at the moment. Uh, and he was involved with that as a, a sort of creative director. And, um, uh, yeah, and we just happened to be talking about what we were all doing and he mentioned it and we, you know, said, said oh, you know, that, that's got to be a fun job. You know, we love that. And he was like, oh, well, you should do, you know, you should do some. So, so it kind of, it really did fall in our lap a bit, that one, uh, just through working with, you know, the right person at the right time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was really fun to do and you're working with, you know, people are obviously experts at that kind of comedy and mm. directors who know exactly how to, you know, to squeeze a laugh out of every moment. And mm. so it was a, you know, it was, it was pretty easy, really. It was, it was a joy to do. Yeah. And, and Steve Box, I think he's a, he's a genius really in terms of, uh, you know, being a director. And I don't think Nick and I, I think we're both, neither of us have met someone who has such a grasp natural grasp of sort of storytelling um and it's just it's just such a pleasure he's a really good friend now and he's just so funny and he's just he's absolutely brilliant to work with and he was doing i can't remember which um series of sean the sheep he's done a couple now um but he was acting as their sort of consultant and story editor and script script editor and it was just fantastic to work with him he really is brilliant Fantastic we stuff. We can never tell him about his podcast because <laughs> a really big head. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, listen, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us today. Uh, there's so much more we'd love to ask you. But um, but I would like to tell people, if they want to find out more about Nick and Mark's incredible work, 
probably the best place to go, I'm guessing, guys, is ostlerandhuckabee.com. Yes, the one, yeah. And you've got the book there, Defender of the Realm, which people can check out. And you can also see all of the amazing TV and film that you've done. And I love the fact that when you go to film, it actually says, are you over 18? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We were slightly worried about readers of the book going to the website and then seeing trailers of our horror movies. It's fantastic. Um, And if people want to get in contact with you uh, online, have you got social media sites? Uh, we're both on Twitter, so that's probably the best way. I'm just at Nick Osler. And I am at Hucky Wucky. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. So that is your nickname. There you go. Well, now it was one of those things where I was when Twitter had kind of not first started, but I was sort of like, what is this? Okay, and I couldn't get my name, so I just went out Hucky Wucky. And then it's a bit like those government information films where they warn people about you know changing your email to something more grown up (laughs) (laughs) it's now in the back of our book i'm pleased to say and we want to wish you all the best for the future obviously you've got the new book coming out in 2017 and obviously uh lots of other projects you're working on so we'll be keeping our eyes peeled for what you do next and congratulations as well guys on winning the emmy for peter rabbit that that must have been an incredible moment it was it was a nice bonus that's for sure absolutely thank you Fantastic. And uh, good luck with your book. We, I thought we were going to we were going to hear about your your secret best selling book that you're up for writing. Oh, uh, we'll, 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 we'll tease that out a little longer. Got <laughs> <laughs> to get over that argument you've been having first. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Work it out, guys. Give it needs counselling. Just you know, yeah. Just... <laughs> I might take Brilliant. you up on that. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much again, Mark and Nick, and uh, we we'll look forward to uh, to checking in with you guys again soon. All right, guys. Thanks. thanks. Bye. Aren't they lovely guys? Fantastic. What a what an interesting interview to chat with two guys who've at the top of their game but working in a partnership. Yeah, yeah. And the the thing that uh, you know they the the big advantage of partnership is you do have each other's back. It, it, it reminded me of a story that Neil Gaiman tells about he and Terry Pratchett writing Good Omens and they'd written Good Omens together, they'd gone through all this and they had some movie interest. And they flew to Hollywood and they met with some studio people out there. The Good Omens is a kind of a, a pastiche of the omen. And it's about, you know, a little boy who's supposed to grow up and be Satan and be brought up by demonic people, but actually gets left with a really nice suburban couple in Surrey. <laughs> and it, it turns out to be a really nice kid. And he's the hero of the story. And it's a wonderful story. It's very one of my favorite books. And, you know, the hero is this sort of 12-year-old boy. And they flew to Hollywood and they said, look, we know what Hollywood is like. We need to have each other's backs, you know, like, and they said, we need to have a password so that if one of us isn't happy, we know to back out of the deal. And they said, okay, well, look, how about we say, oh, we will need to speak to our manager, Mr. Biggles. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Biggles, because there won't, there won't be anyone called Biggles. There's no, you know, so they're in a meeting and they're with this Hollywood exec and the Hollywood exec. I love the book, guys. I love the book. Totally fantastic. Really cool. Now, how about we make the hero, we make him a little bit older and we have him played by Tom Cruise. <laughs> And Neil said he looked over to Terry sitting in the corner and he had his hands up in the air like wings and he was going, (laughs) (laughs) So that's that thing, you know, script writing, you have each other's back, you know, if there are two of you and you have two pairs of eyes. And, you know, uh, I think if, like you say, if they get along like that, Mm. and I think I know we've made a thing out of this disagreement we had in a previous (laughs) podcast, but... um, we do. We are very much of a mind and temperament, and you know, uh, I think we're both pushing in the same direction. Yeah. Well, so actually, we're gonna be... it, it was interesting what he, what they said. I loved. I'm a beekeeper, actually. I don't know if I'll just reveal a secret there. But when he said hive mind, that was brilliant mm-hmm. because it is a bit like that. And I think we've spent a lot of hours working together on this podcast, and even more hours actually. It feels like working on the book so far, and and we ha- you do start to kind of learn about each other you do start coming from the same direction and the one thing they mentioned that i thought was really good is that they said they have very similar interests and i noticed that when we people don't i don't know we've mentioned this on on the air yet but before we started this project what we did is we created a spreadsheet um and we actually asked Mm -hmm. each other what our favorite books films what were some of the other things can you remember some of the other things on the spreadsheet yeah it was it was music music interest interest things that we values that we had philosophies yeah things we felt passionate about things we hated it's the one you added funny enough yeah (laughs) i left i left i left coldplay off that i should go back and add that in (laughs) 
um, but, but that we it was quite funny because we did that exercise separately. So if you're listening and you're you're working with someone, you're thinking with work with someone, this was really really good because we did it separately and then we we looked at each other's notes and it was amazing. The kind of crossover we had things like the Simon Pegg movies or Spaced was one of the ones that we like. Yeah, oh, I mean, Space Fan, you know, it, it helped us focus on our similarities. Uh, and focus on the things that we both liked, and that helped us come up with an idea for the story. Yeah, so absolutely. And I think that's, very positive. I think that's more important ultimately than the have, coming from that same place is more important than ultimately where you're coming at things creatively. Because I think you know any conflict is is potentially good conflict. I mean, Brian Cranston said, didn't he? Out of every struggle, out of every problem, always comes a good story. So in some ways, yeah. But but also you 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 know you can resolve your differences without being difficult you know yeah. you can be civilized about it absolutely I, I mean i've never i've never thrived on that conflict i've never thrived on that that feeling uncomfortable in a well, ha- in theater or film or anything like that i i prefer people work together and you have to leave the conflict than- for the story because ultimately yeah, that's yeah. where it has to happen but i i was i was fascinated the thing i mean they must be very unique they're they're writing you know nick and mark are writing for sean the sheep and peter rabbit and then they're doing horror movies and then stuck in the middle, they're also writing kind of young adult, um, you know, yeah, Arthurian yeah, legend. W- what it, what it all comes down to is it's all story. I, I think it's really fascinating that you start out writing two minute sketches, but if you macro that out, it's all story, you know, a sketch, a joke, a joke is a, has a three act structure. You know, you have the you have the premise, you have the middle bit, and then you have the punchline, which is the ending. You know, the thing that that comes out of the blue and surprises you. That's telling a joke is a three act structure. Then writing a sketch, likewise, a three act structure. Writing a sitcom, very similar setup. You know, and you just extrapolate that out to feature films and then to books. You know, I mean, they're all macros of each other. Mm. You know, mm. if that's the right word. Yeah. Well, also, I wonder whether when they talked about writing these kind of two minute scripts and then they expanded out to, you know, scripts longer than 20 minutes and these skits that they were doing, it kind of made me think, I wonder if the equivalent to that for people that start out and writing are short stories. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely something in that. Uh, I think I mean, short stories. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great way to get your words down on the page. Short stories tend to be like a sketch, you know, short and punchy with some kind of punchline. I, I guess most people, if they think of short stories, they might think of ones with a twist, like uh, the role dull. Certainly a lot of, you know, when I was at school, most people's first encounter with a short story was probably a role dull story who wrote, you know, those tales of the unexpected type stories. Um, but they don't all have to be like that. Uh, and yeah, I think it's definitely worth, if you're dipping your toe in for the first time, then that's, that's maybe the way to do it. Mm, mm. What else struck you, Mark, about about what Nick and Mark shared with us? Well, I mean, it's uh, I, I like their technique of alternating chapters. That's something we should yeah, maybe look at. That was Certainly, really when we when we've got our outline, then you know I could have a go at a chapter, you could have a go at a chapter, and then the the book is working twice as hard, especially if uh, we're up against the deadline the way that we are. Mm. Um, I, and going for a good walk, uh, you know, if you do get stuck, uh, like them, I don't believe in writer's block. I think you work through it. I love that. And that, I, that was huge, yeah. wasn't it? You know, yeah. don't even use that word. I think that was massive. No, no. I mean, it's, um, I, I think that thing of going for a walk, detaching your mind, and you'll find it's working, the cogs are wearing away in the background. And I, I find that all the time. Just the walk from, you know, I, I get in at Waterloo Station, it's like a 20-minute walk to the office, and I always come up with something in that walk. You know, yeah. I'd, I'd have been writing in, in the commute into Waterloo. Uh, I usually finish mid-sentence and leave myself a little note for later on. But then I, about halfway to work, something will click and I end up sending myself an email with an idea. And the other one was having multiple projects on the go, which I do. You know, uh, people say, well, how can you be doing a script and a book and this and that? Mm. But it's like, well, if you get stuck on this one, well, leave it alone and start working on this other thing over here. And like Nick said, it can just be the basic stuff. Like uh, he talked about like doing all the slug lines on a script, you know. Yeah, the, what is a, what is a uh, slug line? Slug line, it comes from an old journalism term, uh, the, the, for like a, a headline. But uh, on a script, it's that thing that bit, that says exterior. Uh, hotel oh, okay. day, 
That's right. a that's a slug line. Right. So right. you know, and just they're the kind of thing that you can just make sure they because when you're writing a script, you can go hotel lobby, and then you find out you've actually written uh, hotel back door or something, and they find out they're the same location. So you end up that's a kind of bit of admin, like a copy edit, essentially, where you go through and make sure they all work. And while you're doing that, it is kind of you know the less glamorous part of it yeah and it's, it's not grind, necessarily it? creative yeah it's yeah. not very creative but while you're doing it like you said you're reading through it again and it will trigger some ideas so those are those are gold tips absolutely going, brilliant. going back to the walking bit was really interesting because one of the things in coaching that we always say to people when they're stuck it, if you're doing a coaching call with someone and they and they, they just they can't seem to be breaking through his problem one of the techniques is to say turn around and face in the other direction and and I know it sounds weird, but if you think about when we're writing, we're always sitting down facing the screen. We're always facing one direction. So the idea of getting up and going for a walk is that kind of is that shift of of state. And there's a massive thing. There's a whole psychology behind state change and how it can bring out new things. So there's a lot. There's a lot more to it than just going for a yeah. walk, and it's great. It's great that you felt the same as well. Well, uh, yeah, I and mean, then just the physical thing of getting some oxygen pumping around your body. Because if you are sitting on your backside for hours on end, oh. you know you do become lethargic. Well, your you brain, your it, brain gets starved of yeah. oxygen, and if your yeah, brain gets absolutely. starved of oxygen, that's when you get your headaches, and and that's when you yeah that yeah. WB thing that he that name that shall not be mentioned now comes in right. So yeah, that's well, fascinating. Um, one of the one of the things as well that I I really liked about it is they, you know, they seem to have a really, a really good relationship with each other. I mean, you know, they, they obviously they, they met at university, but they've had this professional relationship for 20 years and it's quite rare. I think, you know, looking bands and music, you know, you, you do get your rolling stones that make it seem to make it all the way through, but they're the exception rather than the rules. So, you know, the tips they've given us, I think would be really well heeded by everyone. Yeah. But you, you heard them speak. They're easygoing guys. They're professional. Um, they're very frank when something isn't working and they don't throw the toys out. Mm-hmm. And I think all of that, all of that says to me professionals. Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not dilettantes. They're not hysterical maniacs. They, they get their head down and they get on with the work mm. and they're there to tell stories. And, you know, and, and because they're script writers, they're used to working to deadlines and delivering and taking notes. And so, you know, I think they're an example for us all. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'll be taking that hive mind. I mean, that is. Yeah, there's a lot to be said when you're a beekeeper and you get to see the magic of the hive and you see that in action. Mm. The other thing I think that's really crucial as well is they they talked about when they were writing book, they're writing the Defender of the Realm book. They would do a couple of chapters each, but then they would edit each other's chapters. And it's almost like what happened is they gained their blended voice. It's a blended voice rather than a unique voice for each of them. And well, I I I do that with um I do that with John when we're writing scripts. You know, I've certainly because he's a director and he's away doing other stuff we'll talk about ideas we'll outline and i usually do the first pass of any script Mm. and then i hand it over to him in fact that's what's happening now i did a we're working on tv pilot it's now with him and it will be for the next week and he'll go through and add his bit to it then i come back and it's like a plow going over a field you know after a while it goes over so many times you can't see you know the original tracks and it does become its own thing so yeah yeah i think that's a stuff good way to work excellent now before we finish up we've obviously had a a really good chat with nick and mark so we're we're, we won't be doing some of our usuals this week but um i i just want to tell you mark i I'd been looking into Scrivener this week and one of the things that I found was being a challenge is um, obviously Scrivener is stuck on my PC, it's stuck on your Mac and um, you have to be, if you want to work on it, you have to be in your working space, your writing space. But I discovered they now have an app, an iOS app, I believe, for just just for um, iPhones, Apples, etc., and I was playing around uh, on the website looking at it, and the reviews have been absolutely stunning. So my thing that I'm going to do this week is I'm actually going to download the iOS app, and that means I can take Scrivener wherever I go with me, and I'm going to try try it on, the, on my iPad. Um, mm-hmm. But apparently it all links up, and everything everything works in, in complete conjunction with, with the Dropbox file that we're using. So uh, it's talking about being in a different space to, to help, Right, you know, I could go to the library, for example, and still access it. So I'm very excited about that. If you're interested in trying out the iOS app, you can go along to iTunes and just search for Scrivener. And uh, in the UK, it's uh, 14.99 
that's 14 pounds 99 i'm not sure what it is in the us but um but check it out i think if you like to write on the go if you're a commuter or you just like to get out and about definitely worth checking out and uh Get in touch with us. Let us know how your story is going. If you're joining us on this journey, tell us how you're getting on. If you found the wisdom in this episode useful, you will find it in the Writer's Vault of Gold. Uh, all you have to do is sign up to our mailing list and you get this document, which is now uh, tens of thousands Ouch. of words long. It includes the likes of Michael Connolly, Joanne Harris, Brian Cranston, all telling you their writer's wisdom. And now Mark Huckabee and Nick Osler. And it's all free. Might not be free always, but for now it's yes, free. So sure. get in there, grab it. It's available in PDF form, which is probably best for your Kindle or as an EPUB for your iPad or Android uh, e- EPUB reader. And uh, I, I love it. I'm the one who transcribes it and I'm learning oodles. From in, it. in a way, what it is, Mark, it's, it's the, we're writing the book that we wish we always had. And that's what I love about that. You know, we're writing it yeah. to help us, but we want to share so it. Many, so many books about how to write, they're written by teachers who are fine and dandy, but they, they a lot of them haven't actually written books or screenplays, you know. So this is wisdom from people who've been there, done that, sold a lot of copies. So, yeah, um, yeah go that's grab stuff. it. And don't forget, you can find us, if you want to sign up to the mailing list, you'll, you can go to bestsellerexperiment.com, click on the uh, newsletter link, or the little widget with the picture of the book on the side of the page. And we're also on Facebook at Bestseller Experiment and on Twitter. I I actually know because I get confused, (laughs) which is bad, but Twitter, oh no, but Twitter is Bestseller XP. That's where I was uh, we're on Pinterest if you like pictures and we're on Instagram as well and uh, follow us on Twitter but just share tell your friends uh, leave ratings and reviews and uh, and send us some love yes we need all the yeah we need we need all the love absolutely. to get us through get the us rewrites through. absolutely <laughs> edit central thank you so much for joining us this week again we really appreciate your time with us and it's a goodbye from both of us Mark Squared although today it was actually Mark Cubed do you think we should we should yes. be if you, I'm wondering if there's a Guinness Book of Records for that with the most number of marks on an interview marks on a you, podcast marks on a podcast maybe we could apply to yeah. uh, whoever took over from Norris Norris McWhorter yeah, yeah. I, I know someone who works at Guinness I can oh there so. we go get it done <laughs> excellent we might not get a best selling book but we might end up in the Guinness Book of Records yep. brilliant fantastic man Do me. so it's goodbye from Mark Squared at this end in Canada and goodbye from jolly old England goodbye goodbye To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe.